Good afternoon and welcome to Bible Quest, the Wednesday edition. <clears throat> I am Jeff Smelser in Exton, Pennsylvania, and uh, Chase Byers is with us today, as usual, in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and uh, we're without Joe Works today. Uh, Lord willing, we'll have him back next week. Good afternoon, Chase. Hey, Jeff. How are you today? It's good to see you. Yeah, so so we're going to start something. We, we've not done, in on this webcast, we've not done a lot of series where we start one week and we just go for a few weeks on something i don't have we ever done anything like that i don't think so I, if we have maybe we've done like a back-to-back -back, like one week we did yeah. like a two-part thing but we've never done like a a continuous series i don't well, think before. we're going to start something today the last week of of jesus um and of course what we're talking about here is starting with his entry into jerusalem and then the last week up to his crucifixion and, and then resurrection um, he, he spends another 40 days with the disciples after his resurrection on earth. So somebody could nitpick, I suppose, and say, well, it wasn't his last week. He had another um, six weeks after that. Uh, but um, this is the last week uh, up to his crucifixion and resurrection. And he comes into Jerusalem on what we would call Sunday on the first day of the week, as, as we would think of weeks. And then he is crucified on Friday and raised from the dead on Sunday. So we're going to start in Matthew, the 21st chapter, and we're just going to work our way through these chapters, and maybe not in too much of a hurry. Um, and of course, we'd appreciate any of your comments or questions as we go through this. I think we've already got one coming in here, it looks like. Oh, I've got a comment from my co-host Chase telling me to stop the screen share. <laughs> All right. Thank, thank you for that from, from a, a viewer there. All right, Chase, let's start in Matthew chapter 21. And let's just read the first uh, five verses. How about you reading that for us? I'd love to. It says, when they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples and said to them, go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey that tied there and a colt with her, and tie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a coat, or excuse me, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. So that, that last part there in verse 5, of course, is a quotation from Zechariah 9. And, yeah. Um, also, Isaiah 62, I learned. It's a kind of, actually kind of a mashup of two different prophecies. Ah, uh, I do have a note in my Bible, Isaiah 62. Let's, let's look at both of them. Uh, let's, let's go to Isaiah 62, first of all. Um, and I'm having trouble there. It's Isaiah 62 and uh, verse 11. Tell me about verse 11, yeah. Behold, the Lord is proclaimed to the end of the earth. Say to the daughter of Zion, lo, your salvation comes. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. Okay. Uh, this is in certainly in a messianic context. It's in a section of Isaiah where it's talking about the light to the Gentiles. In fact, it's in the first part of chapter 62 that he talks about a new name that the people would be given. Uh, no longer will they be called forsaken. Uh, or desolate, but they'll be called married, and my delight is in her. Um, but going back to the quotation from Zechariah, the portion of it from Zechariah, let's look a little bit at that context. In Zechariah, we're at the, <coughs> excuse me, Chase, 
We're at that period of time when the Israelites have come out of captivity and they're rebuilding the temple. And there's a strong messianic element in Zechariah. Uh, you see the idea of uh, a king and priest united in one man. Joshua, who was the high priest at the time, is, is a crown put on his head and back in connection with three. that. Say so what? I said back in chapter three. Yeah, and then in chapter six is when the crown is put on his head. Oh, okay. And, and he's told that um, the branch is going to be the one who's right. going to build the temple, which is interesting because they're building the physical temple right at this time. But the Lord is speaking about the ultimate temple that's going to come and the branch, uh, the Messiah is going to build it. So it's a messianic context through, through much of Zechariah. Then you come to chapter nine, and it's in uh, verse nine. Verse nine. Similar to Isaiah, isn't it? Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. That part's similar. Yeah. Behold shout your king. Say, say again. No, no, no. Go ahead. Sorry. No, what'd you say? I said shout and triumph. I just, I was just kind of... Yeah. Okay. So it's a triumphant picture. And yet the one who comes, uh, the king that's coming, doesn't come in the way that you normally would think of a triumphant king coming. Right. I don't know about anyone else that's listening, but when you think about a king, especially before they had like cars and stuff, and you think about a king coming into a kingdom, you'd imagine he'd be like on either this big horse, uh, this big black horse, maybe, or a white horse, or yeah. maybe in this huge chariot that's being pulled by a team of horses. You but would imagine donkey? just this big majestic, right. And it's like a donkey, really? A, a, that's a what baby donkey? <laughs> right. And, and, and it's also funny to me, they're shouting in triumph about this king there there would be no shouting and triumph you'd be like who is this guy what what kind of winner is he he looks like a loser he doesn't look like the king you would think but interestingly as we go on in the text in matthew chapter 21 the crowds do acknowledge jesus as the coming king and and they're shouting just like this prophecy said yeah so i'll start in verse six the disciples went and did even as jesus appointed them and brought the ass and the colt and put on them their garments and he sat thereon. And the most part of the multitude spread their garments in the way, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them in the way. It's almost like rolling out the red carpet, except That's instead right. of red carpet, it's leaves and coats. And the multitudes that went before him and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. What are they indicating that they think about jesus yeah so um a couple things you could ways you could answer this um, number one they're calling him the son of david which we've been reading matthew before this we know that this was something said about jesus at the end of matthew by two blind beggars they were also the ones saying jesus son of david have mercy on us mm -hmm. um, and so he comes from the king like the king that all the jews would have looked up to they're calling him the son of that king and so that would in essence, say he, he has the right to the throneship as right. the son. Right. Uh, then they're using this phrase, Hosanna, which means, oh, Lord, save us. And I'm sure there's other variant, uh, various, uh, you know, descriptions of what that means. But I think boiled down, that's what it means. Oh, Lord, save. And then the third thing is they say, he who comes in the name of the Lord or in the name of Yahweh. Now, Jeff, if I was to show up at the church building there where you're doing this Bible study and I knocked on your door and I said, I come in the name of Joe Biden, what would you say? <laughs> I, 
You got me there. <laughs> well, but, uh, no, right? You would laugh. You would say, "On what authority?" Like, what? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, in the name you, of you know, I, I don't see any Secret Service with you. Uh, I, I don't quite see the trappings that that suggest you've just arrived from the White House. <laughs> That's fair. Okay. But but to to make the claim that you're coming in the name of someone mm -hmm. is simply what I'm trying to point out. Or uh, maybe a better metaphor, you know, when the police bang on the door, you know, by order of so and so, or by order of the police, you know, we we got to come in here, we got a warrant or or whatever have you. To say you're coming in the name of someone, you better be able to back that up. And it and, is. And, and it seems that these people are pretty conscious of what they're saying. It seems that they're conscious of, of looking back to Psalm 118, because you have the expression in Psalm 118.25, O Lord, do save, which mm -hmm. seems to be the phrase that ends up in Greek and then in English, Hosanna. And then it's in the next verse where you have the words, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And uh, it does seem that the people are, in fact, Jesus is riding into Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. So if you can picture right. the Temple Mount, and then just to the east of that, there's this valley that goes down to the Kidron Stream, runs through there, and uh -huh. then east of that is the Mount of Olives. And Jesus is topping the Mount of Olives and coming, riding down toward Jerusalem to make his entry. And they are treating him as the as the son of David, the, the, the one who's going to be king coming into the royal city. So Yeah, no, yeah, that's exactly right. Um, and I, I always laugh when I read verse 10. When he enters into Jerusalem, all the city were stirred saying, who, who is this? You know, they're like, <laughs> who, who is this guy that, that, that is coming? Uh, he's coming from the east into the temple. And what's really cool is some imagery from Ezekiel here. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, Jeff, but whenever the glory of the Lord left the temple, it right. went up to that very same mountain. Right. And here, Jesus's spirit is coming back into the temple. Of you know, I, I don't know that I'd ever put those two thoughts together in my mind, but that's right. In Ezekiel, when Jerusalem was about to be destroyed, you, Ezekiel sees this vision of the glory of the Lord going from the city to the mountain to the east, the Mount of Olives, and, and he's abandoning the city and the temple. And it's destroyed. And now here comes Jesus coming to the city. Interesting. Um, it is multitudes. You, you, you're right. We have people in the city saying, who is this? But we also have multitudes of people who seem to know who this is. Um, and so you've got a, a, a mixed crowd there. And so the multitudes actually reply when the people in the city are saying, who Correct. is this? The multitude said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Yeah. And, and so, so then what happens? Yeah. Um, verse 12, Jesus enters the temple and drove out all those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a robber's den. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. And when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things he had done and the children who were shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they became indignant and said to him, do you hear what these children are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babes? You have prepared praise for yourself. And he left them there and went out of the city to Bethany and spent the night there. Okay. So he comes into the, to the city 
And the first thing he does is, uh, he, you could say he makes waves, but I guess actually what he did was he overturned the tables. Um, right. he, he goes in and he runs the people. So, so what's going on here? These money changers, what's that about? Yeah, so apparently, um, if you go back to the Old Testament, you read about the different sacrifices that you could offer at the temple, and eventually, because of Babylonian, per, um, the, the scatter after the Babylonian, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Why am I blanking on the word? Captivity. Captivity, thank you. Yeah. And the Assyrian captivity, they're all scattered across the known world at the time, and so you got these synagogues set up. That's where they're worshiping, but once a year, they could come, and they could offer their sacrifices at the temple, but it would have been hard for them to bring their sheep. 400 miles to the temple. And so we're told in the old law that there was provision for people like that, where they could buy or purchase a lamb, where they could buy or purchase two turtle doves or whatever have you. But it looks like there are some people in this day that are taking advantage of that, and they've just set up shop right there in the middle of the temple, and people are just making money off of the sacrifices that are going to be offered up in the temple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, and Jesus refers to them as a den of robbers or a den of thieves. So it does seem that they're, they are, you know, it's kind of like when you go into the airport and you try to buy a sandwich in the airport and it costs twice as much as you'd pay yeah. for it anywhere else. Right. You can see the inflation, the, the, the part you're, where you're trapped, you've gone through security. You can't get back out. This is the only thing, you know? Yeah. So it does seem like they were taking advantage of things and, and Jesus said, you're, you you this is my house my house shall be called a house of prayer but you made it a a den of robbers there was something else i wanted to to well, mention here if I, if I can just on that that note from verse 13 the the house of prayer but it's a robber's den the idea it, it, when you see the temple this is going to be important it'll come into play in just a little bit when you see the temple it's supposed to look like this house of prayer it's supposed to look like this place where you can go and worship god but when you get closer, you realize that it's only a robber's den. It's not what it looked like it was. Remember that for maybe the next story. This is not the first time Jesus has done this, is it? Uh, no. According to the Gospel of John, he did this at the very beginning of his mm-hmm. ministry as well. Mm-hmm. So it looks like he's done it twice in his yeah. in his ministry. Yeah. I think it's interesting that both at the beginning and the conclusion of his ministry, he cleanses the temple. He, he is coming to, we, we talked in Zechariah about the fact that the branch would come and build the house of the Lord, the temple. Um, his, so his work is to build the true temple of God. But there is, this physical, there is this physical temple in Jerusalem. And when he begins his work, his public teaching, he cleanses the temple. And now, just a few days before he'll be crucified, he does so again. And of course, he's going to do several things beginning with this. He's going to do several things in Jerusalem over the course of this week that are going to stoke the ire of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders there in Jerusalem. Uh, Certainly, this is part of it. You read the part in verse 15 about the chief priests and the scribes uh, coming in and being upset with the way the crowds were praising him and saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Um, and, And then we'll get to where they question him about the cleansing the temple in a moment. But I do want to notice verse 17 that you read. He comes in this first day, which would be a Sunday, as we would on our calendars. He he comes in, he cleanses the temple, uh, makes a statement. And then in verse 17, he went back out to Bethany. So Bethany is back just over the crest of, of the Mount of Olives. 
And it seems that during this week, each night, he's going out to Bethany, spending the night there, and then coming back in during the day to teach in the temple there in Jerusalem. And this is how he spends uh, the days leading up to his, his crucifixion. Uh, anything else we want to notice in the first 17 verses? No, I think we're clear. All right. So now we have verse 18. In the morning, as he returned to the city, so he's coming back from Bethany. Now, remember, Bethany was the home of Lazarus and Martha and Mary. Uh, and it's also the place where Simon lived, who hosted a dinner uh, that Jesus attended. So he has friends out there. He has places he can stay. In the morning, as he returned to the city, he hungered. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he came to it and found nothing thereon but leaves only. And he says to it, let there be no fruit from you henceforth forever. And immediately the fig tree withered away. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, how did the fig tree immediately wither away? And Jesus answered and said to them, verily I say unto you, if you have faith and doubt not, you shall not only do what is done to the fig tree, but even if you shall say to this mountain, be thou taken up and cast into the sea, it shall be done. And all things whatsoever you shall ask in prayer, believing you shall receive. So for this moment, the fig tree just seems to be a demonstration of his power. And, and yet you might wonder, why is he mad at the fig tree? Um, but we're going to find out there's more, more meaning to this than is immediately apparent, because we're going to see this fig tree again, aren't we? Yeah, we are. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, Mark's gospel does the same exact thing. So it's kind of cool to see it in the other gospels. Yeah, too. yeah. Uh -huh. All right. Well, we'll leave the fig tree for now, and we will pick it up in verse 23. And uh, now they're going to question him about his cleansing the temple. And so if you would start in verse 23 and sure. go through verse uh, go through verse 27. Sure. When he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him and while he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Jesus said to them, I will also ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I will also tell you by which authority I do these things. Hmm. The baptism of John was from what source? From heaven or from men? And they began reasoning among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Then why did you not believe him? But if we say from men, we fear the people, for they all regard John as a prophet. And answering Jesus, they said, We don't know. <laughs> he also said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Yeah. Okay. So just from the start, Jeff, it's a good question, by the way. Right. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Verse 23. Jesus has done some pretty, uh, what's the word? Um, astonishing. Uh, astonishing. And uh, there was another word that my mind. Controversial. Kind of, <laughs> yeah. Controversial. And just like some, some, some things that would shock people. It's a good question. Why do you think you can do this? Right. What, what, get, what gives you the right to come in here and do these? And, and I suppose, I think he is, I think he is referring back to, um, I think they're referring back to the cleansing of the temple. By what authority do you come in here and yes. drive these people out of the temple? And, and so he answers it with a question. And, and really his question is the answer to their question. Yeah. If they had acknowledged that John was from heaven, well, John testified of Jesus, that he was the one who was the Messiah. He was um, the one that John was the forerunner to. If they had believed John, then they would have known by what authority Jesus did what he did. 
if they had believed John and it granted that John was from heaven, but they can't say that now. And so it's funny, the, the politicians in them here, the po political, you know, well, if we say this, if we say that, we'll just say, we don't know. It's also a clue into how hard their hearts have gotten at this point. And yeah. this is a quick application for us. If we ever get to the point where we can't answer a question honestly because of some problem right. on our end, we need, right. we need to fix that. that right. that's, that's not on Jesus. That's on us. That's that Good point. observation. And I want to just emphasize, these are the religious leaders. Um, and this, this is something that we should recognize in the world today. Uh, religious leaders hold a certain um, esteem and they did then as well. But then the religious leaders were often more interested in their political power, their, their earthly power than they were in truth. And that's also true today. Yeah. I, I'll, one other thing I'd like to point out at this point in any of the gospels, because I believe all the gospels kind of follow this thread. You also see Jesus turning it up a few notches in these later chapters of the gospels. You do. You do. Um, starting back in uh, chapter 19, as he's addressing different questions and, and talking to different people about um, what they need to give up, you, you see him being more straightforward, I think. Mm -hmm. And not that he wasn't straightforward before, but he, he is more direct. And, and now it's getting to the point here in chapter 21 where he's not even putting up with them. I mean, it, when, they're, when they won't reason with him, he says, you know what, I'm not even going to tell you by what authority I do these things, because you, your hearts are so hard at this point, I'm, I don't know what to do with you. I, I think you're right. You know, early on, he would do miracles, and he would tell somebody, you know, don't tell anybody. Um, and he did not trust himself to all men in John chapter 2. That's early on in his ministry. But throughout the Gospel of John, you have this expression, my hour is not yet come. And then finally, you get to my hour has come. There was a certain time when Jesus was going to give himself up, and he's now at that moment. He's been saying, if we go back to Matthew chapter 16 and verse um, uh, 21, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go into Jerusalem, suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and the third day be raised up. And you see that uh, repeatedly uh, over the over the the ensuing passages, the ensuing text. And so Jesus knows this is the time, and he comes to Jerusalem with this in mind. And so, yes, he is being, he is being very open, and he is, he is being very blunt with the Pharisees, and they're going to react by putting him to death. So that, that brings us to a little parable here about two sons, starting in verse 28. He refuses to answer. He's really answered their question. They said, by yeah. what authority do you do these things? Well, he said, well, by, was, was John's baptism from heaven or, or from men? And if they'd said from heaven, they'd have known by what authority. But now he's going he's gonna to tell this parable about the two sons, and I'll read it, starting in verse 28. What do you think? A man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, son, go work today in the vineyard. And he, the son, answered and said, I will not. But afterward, he repented himself and went. And he, the father, came to the second and said, likewise. And he answered, the second son, and said, I go, sir, and went not. Which of the two did the will of his father? And they said, well, the first. He's the one who said he wouldn't, but then he did. And Jesus said to them, Verily I say unto you that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and you believed him not, but the publicans and the harlots believed him, and 
you, when you saw it, did not even repent yourselves afterward that you might believe it. That's something to say to a bunch of religious leaders yeah, yeah. that the, the, the prostitutes are going to go into the kingdom before you do. And in the analogy, two sons, well, the religious leaders, they're the ones who make a big show of, we do God's will, but they don't. Whereas the prostitutes and the tax collectors who had a reputation for taking advantage of people were the ones who had sinned and not done God's will, but who then had been receptive when Jesus had come along and turned to him. So you see the, the analogy to the two sons. Yeah, and really, a lot of the parables Jesus will use from here on out are, they're kind of turned up on 10. Um, yeah. they're, they're very heated. He's very, uh, he's even black and white, even in some of the things that he says uh, to these groups of people. And so this it, is kind of the part of them. Yeah, it's kind of funny when we get to verse 45 after the next parable, which we'll look at. It says, when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he spoke of them. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding. And then, and then, then I, I like to think that the rest, then their brains are clicking and they're going, oh, I wonder if he meant that other one against me and that other one against me yeah. and that other one, you know, yeah. it's also yeah. finally clicking for them. All right. So let's take a look at this next parable starting in verse 33. Okay. Yeah, it says, uh, Jesus says, listen to another parable. I've forgotten that, by the way, that it says it just like that. I think yeah. that's kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, there was a landowner who planted a vineyard and put a wall around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and rented it out to vine growers and went on a journey. And when the harvest time approached, he sent his slaves to the vine growers to receive his produce. Well, the vine growers took his slaves, beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Again, he sent another group of slaves, larger than the first, and they did the same thing to them. But afterward, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. But when the vine grower saw the son, they said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him seize his, and seize his inheritance. They took him, threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine growers? <laughs> they said to him, he will bring those wretches to a wretched end and will rent out the vineyard to other vine growers who will pay him the proceeds at the proper seasons. Jesus said to them, did you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? This became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing the fruit of it. And he who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. And when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they understood that he was speaking about them. And when they sought to seize him, they feared the people because they considered him to be a prophet. Oh, okay. The parable. Um, a guy has done, he's done everything that needed to be done so that there would be a fruitful harvest. There would be all these grapes to be harvested. Yeah, hard working. He did, a, he did a lot of work there. Yeah. Yeah. And then what, what, what does this represent? Who is, who is this, this husbandman, this owner of the vineyard who, who, uh, um, who owns this vineyard and has done all this work and he's gone away? Who is that? I, I reckon it's God. Yeah, uh, I've always thought it was God who kind of created the world and more so kind of created his people and gave them a purpose and kind of created this whole system. So who are the who are the the husbandmen 
the husbandmen, the, the workers who are supposed to be taking care of this vineyard? Who are they? I think just the Jewish people, just yeah. uh, the, the general people that, that God has entrusted as vineyard to. So, the Jews. so then who, when it says uh, he sent servants uh, one after another, who would those be? Probably the prophets, the different mm -hmm. spokesmen for God that he sent over the course of time. Which were persecuted and killed by the Jews in the Old Testament. Yes, they and, were. And so then he says, well, well, I'll send my son. Well, obviously, who is that? It's Jesus. And, and at first, the people listening to this don't get it. They're irate. And eventually, they're going to figure out, oh, we're, we're the bad guys in this. Can I real quick just, I love the teaching tactic that Jesus employs here. It's actually also the same one you saw with um, Nathan and David right. back in 2 Samuel right. chapter 12, right. where Nathan kind of paints this picture and has David cast judgment on the situation, but the situation is actually the situation David's in, and it's the right. same case with them. Jesus will open-endedly ask them, what do you think the owner of the vineyard is going to do when he comes back and sees what's going to happen? That's right. They answer it right. He, my, I've forgotten my translation says he will bring those wretches to a wretched end. You know, he yeah. he'll obliterate them. He'll take care of them, and then he'll give that he'll give that vineyard to someone else. Now, who's the someone um, else? I think it's the Gentiles. Um, Gentiles, sure, and, and you know maybe it's not just Gentiles, but it's people who are going to receive uh, God's messengers and people who are going to receive the son. Yeah. Um, and, and I think certainly Gentiles are, are a big part of that. He says shall be given to a nation, bringing forth fruits thereof. It, I think it's spiritual Israel, which is going to include sure. Gentiles. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and so they would have killed him right then and there. Uh, they would have laid hands on him, but they couldn't because the people understood him to be a prophet. We, we often hear people say the Jews rejected Jesus, and, and that's true, but we sometimes forget that it was especially the religious leaders who rejected Jesus, and many of the common people embraced Jesus and received him, not saying that all of them did by any means, but many of them did. I think it's in John, the 11th chapter, actually, that uh, talks about the common people there of, of the Jews learned that um, Jesus was there, and they came not only for Jesus' sake, but also that they might see Lazarus, whom he'd risen from the dead. And then there's the contrast between the common people and the chief priest who took counsel uh, to put Lazarus to death and ultimately Jesus to death. All right, let's come to chapter 22. So, so Jesus, we've got it. We've got the idea. Jesus is in Bethany in the evenings. He comes into Jerusalem during the days. He's teaching. He'd come in the first day riding on the donkey and cleanse the temple. He's come in now during the week, and he's and he started teaching these parables in which the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders, are starting to, to figure out, oh, he's condemning us. And so we come to chapter 22, and there's a, a wedding feast parable. And this one, there's a couple of puzzling things about this one. But let's start here in Matthew chapter 22, and I'll read a little bit, starting in verse 1. <clears throat> and Jesus answered and spake again in parables unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a certain king who made a marriage feast for his son, and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the marriage feast, and they would not come. Again, he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them that are bidden, Behold, I've made, my, I've made ready my dinner, my oxen and my fatlings are killed, 
and all things are ready. Come to the marriage feast. We have a song that's taken from those words right there. All, yeah, almost want to sing that ready. verse. But, but they made light of it and went their ways, one to his own farm, another to his merchandise. And the rest laid hold on his servants and treated them shamefully and killed them. But the king was wroth or angry, and he sent his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. All right, we'll, we'll finish this parable in a moment, but let's just look at this much of it. First of all, the first seven verses. You know, Chase, mm -hmm. if I invite you to uh, something at my house or say there's a wedding, you, you get a date and a time and you know to show up at that time. Yeah, I might even RSVP and say, yeah, I'll be there. I'm coming. Things were a little different back then. Yeah. They, they knew there was going to be a feast on a certain day. But when you got it all ready, you sent messengers and said the feast is sure. ready. In the book you, wouldn't have known, you wouldn't have known exactly when to have shown up or anything like that. You would have just waited for the messengers to come. Right. You know, in the book of Esther, we see Esther preparing a feast for King Ahasuerus and Haman. And he is told the day before, you know, how about you come to a feast tomorrow? And yes, he'd love to do that. And then the next day, when the feast is ready, servants come and say, okay, the feast is ready. It's time to come now. Um, and so that's, that's the way things worked. So spiritually here, what's the point? Well, for ages now, for centuries, God has been preparing his people for the coming Messiah. And now the Messiah is here, and so they're being told, okay, he's here. And lo and behold, they're not ready for him. They're not eager to come. They're busy with their own things. They're busy with things of this world. Yeah, and there are other parables Jesus tells very similar to this. I'm yes, there are. The, the parable of the big dinner um, in uh, Luke chapter 14, I believe, as well. Yeah, you know, that's a difference in, in modern speech translations and the older translations. I've never heard it called the parable of the big dinner before, but <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe chase, maybe that's the chase version. No. I'm pretty sure the new version. But you're right. And there's the, the one. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's called the big dinner in Luke 14. In, <laughs> okay. In and again, it's a similar point. They're, they're too busy. You know, one's bought, taking a wife and he's, and another one says, I've just bought some oxen. I've got to go try out my oxen. And I bought a field in that, in that parable, right? Yes. Yeah. No, they have multiple excuses. I've taken a wife. I cannot come and, and multiple things like that. Yeah. So uh, real quick, Jeff, we, we do have a comment. I think it's a, it's worth talking about. We talked a little bit about it earlier, but we'll bring it up again here. Um, Charles said, I've often wondered if Jesus perhaps was being so blunt and almost hateful in the parables at this time to set the course of prophecy in motion because lots of people love him at this point. What do you think about that? Yeah, I, I wouldn't use the word hateful, but I think Jesus is certainly intentionally bringing things to a head. Yeah, uh, I, he, 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 know, he knows the people who are going to oppose him and why they're going to oppose him. And he's, he's going to be out there and he's going to say, I am who I am and you are who you are. And okay, so they're going to, they're going to reject him and crucify him. Yep, I think that's right. Yep. All right, so then we come to verse 8. How about taking us from verse 8 down through verse 14? Then he said to his slaves, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main highways, and as many as you find there, invite to the wedding feast. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered together all they found, both evil and good, and the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. But when the king came in to look over the dinner guests, he saw a man there who was not dressed in wedding clothes. And he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. 
And then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are called, but few are chosen. Okay. The first part, Jeff. Yeah. I was going to say, I get eight through 10. (laughs) I I get it. All right. So, um, and again, this is actually a lot like the parable of the big dinner in Luke chapter 14. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Those who were invited, they didn't want to come. And so he sends the servants out and they go to the highways and the byways, as the older translations say, and they bring in everybody, uh, everyone and their mother, right, to to come to this. But what's up with the guy who accidentally didn't wear the right clothes? See, see, you beat me to it. I was going to ask you the question. I was going to say the same thing. I get verses 8 through 10. (laughs) But the, the... and maybe some of our viewers will have a comment here about the man who doesn't have the wet, proper wedding garments. That's that's a difficult thing. I'm not sure I understand that. And, and you're right. The first part, verses eight through ten, that's easy. Uh, the you know the Jewish leaders, they were the ones who you might have thought would be ready for the feast. They're not. They're interested in worldly things. They're going to be rejected and left out. But then all these other people. Uh, the common people, the Gentiles, they're going to be brought in. That part's easy. I'm not sure what to make about out of the, the guy without the wedding feast. Every now and then I'll see somebody with a good explanation of it. And I go, I think that may be right. And I'll try to remember it, but but I'm, I, it's not on the top of my head. I don't, you know, I, I don't know if the idea, I mean, if you go back to, uh, to Matthew chapter 7, Sermon on the Mount, many on that day will say, Lord, Lord. Um, did we not prophesy in your name and your name cast out demons and your name perform many miracles and i will say to you i never knew you you who practice lawlessness there are people who who look like they should be there that looked like they were doing all the right things but actually jesus didn't even know who they were mm-hmm. and I, I that makes some sense to me with verse 14 many are called but few are chosen there will be many who, who come to be a part of this but there will be few who actually stick with it and will be the chosen few um I, I don't know that's that's one possibility though all right now before we get to verse 15 let's look back again at the last verse of chapter 21 when they sought to lay hold on him they feared the multitudes because they took him for a prophet right. so the pharisees and the sadducees both have a problem they they want to to end jesus influence they can't just grab him and take him because he has such admiration among multitudes. So they're going to try a different tack. What they're going to do is they're going to try to discredit Jesus in the eyes of the multitudes. And the way it says it in verse 15 of chapter 22 is, then went the Pharisees and took counsel how they might ensnare him in his talk. If they can get him to say something that will turn off the multitudes, make him unpopular with the crowds, uh, that's what they're going to try to do. So verse 16, they sent him their disciples with the Herodians saying, teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God in truth and care not for anyone for you regard not the person of men. In other words, they're setting him up. We know you're going to give us the truth and you're not going to worry about what anybody else thinks about it. Um, So they're just daring him to say something that uh, somebody might not like. In verse 17, tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar or not? So what's the problem here with that question? Why is that a difficult question to answer? Well, so like you had mentioned back in verse 16, you've got the Pharisees, disciples, Pharisees, and then you've got the Herodians. Mm -hmm. Um, Herodians, obviously, they're 
they're fans of Herod, which would mean they're, they're fans of the Roman government. So they would have been all for paying Roman taxes. Well, the Pharisees, being on the Jewish side of thing, they didn't really like having to pay taxes. And so they're hoping if, G, if Jesus ends up saying you don't have to pay taxes, then he's going to make the Herodians mad and then vice versa if he says the opposite. Yeah, you probably have representatives of both perspectives there and, and the two perspectives of society in general at this time in society in general. There were a lot of Jews that resented Roman rule over God's people. And why should we be paying taxes to these pagans? And on the other hand, you had a lot of people who really kind of liked Roman rule, and they'd gotten cozy with Roman rule, and the Herodians would have certainly been in that category. And so if he says, no, don't pay taxes to Caesar, well, all of a sudden, all the people who are, well, the Herodians, they could have reported him. He could have been accused of, of treason, of sure. trying to get people to rebel, leading an insurrection against paying taxes to the Roman government. Or yeah. on the other hand, if he says, uh, yes, pay taxes to Caesar, now all the Jews who are maybe very nationalistic in their ideas you know, we are God's people. We are the Jewish people. We've never been in bondage to any man, as they said in John 8, a little naively. Um, you know, we don't think we should be having to pay tribute to Caesar. And, and now this Jesus says we should pay tribute to Caesar. He's going to lose one part of the crowd. That's the idea. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's really, I'll give it to him. It's kind of a clever thing for them to try and do to right. Jesus. Right. Um, as far as a it's a gotcha question. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, of course, what Jesus happens? answers it perfectly. Yeah. I mean, he puts it real simply to them. Uh, first off, he calls them out for what they're doing in verse 18 because he perceived their malice. Why are you testing me, you hypocrites? And then he says, show me the coin used for the poll tax. And they brought him a denarius. And he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Then he said to them, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And hearing this, they were amazed and leaving him, they went away. You can't really argue that. I mean, no. if you are a nationalist and you're, you resent Roman rule, but you've got a coin there that's a Roman coin with Caesar's impression on it, you can't really say, well, I don't think I should have to pay Caesar. Well, you're using his coinage. <laughs> you know? On the other hand, give to God what is God's. Right. And so he has deftly answered the question in a way nobody can find fault with it. Yes. And I mean, there's also the added imagery here of we were made in God's image. Um, and so we should be rendering to God's. Right. His, we we're not in. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, so well, that didn't work. So now the Sadducees are going to give it a go. Uh, so verse 23, on that day, there came to him Sadducees. Yeah. What were you going to say? I was say maybe they had a better question. Yeah, they think they do. And, and Matthew reminds us here that the Sadducees were those who say there is no resurrection. Now, let's be clear here. These are all Jews, Pharisees, Sadducees. They're different sects within the Jewish religion. The Sadducees controlled the upper echelons of the priesthood. But even though they're associated with priesthood, they are they're materialists. They don't believe in, Luke tells us over in Luke the 23rd chapter, I believe it's about verse 8, that the Sadducees didn't believe in angels or spirits or resurrection. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Basically, if I don't see it, I don't believe it. Right. And um, so, so they come to Jesus with this story, verse 24. 
Um, and we're not going to be able to finish this. We're going to be out of time. We're just going to set it up and we'll come back next week. But they said, teacher, Moses said, if a man die having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up seed to his brother. That's a, that's part of the law back in Deuteronomy 25. We actually see it even before the law back in Genesis 38, where Jake, uh, Judah has three sons and, and each one, uh, the first one takes this woman Tamar as a wife and he's killed before there's any child. And so his brother Onan is to take her and he's killed and there's no child. So Sheila, the third one is supposed to take her. And, and the idea was, if a man dies without any posterity, then his wife, his brother should take his wife and raise up seed to the deceased man so that there'll be a, an heir for the deceased man, carry on his name, carry on his estate, that kind of thing. And it's called leveret marriage, which comes from a Latin word that means brother-in-law. Um, so, so that's the idea. So, so they say, well, verse 25, there were with us seven brothers. And the first married and deceased or died, and having no seed, left his wife unto his brother. In like manner, the second also, and the third unto the seventh. So their story is that there was one woman, and she went through seven brothers, and they all died, and then she died. And so they said in verse 27, after them all, the woman died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife shall she be of the seven? For they all had her. Basically, their point is, if there's such a thing as resurrection, you're going to end up with a confusing mess, a chaos. You're going to have a woman up there in heaven, and she's going to have seven men she's married to on earth. Which one is she going to be married? She's going to have seven husbands in, in heaven? And apparently, they think that's enough to make believing in an afterlife foolish. And so Jesus is going to have to answer this question, and we'll come back and see what his answer was next week. All right. That <laughs> we'll leave it with good. a cliffhanger. Yeah, there you go. And uh, so, yeah, we'll pick up there in Matthew 22, verse 29, Lord willing, next week. Yeah, well, we'll probably take two or three minutes just to go back and review chapter 21 and, and chapter 22 to, to catch us up. So we'll do that Sounds next, good. Lord willing. All right. Thanks, Chase. Thanks, y'all.